0: was the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, back with another off-season episode. Before we dive in, I want to note that this podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. If you have not yet deposited on Underdog Fantasy, make sure you use promo code ETR. You'll get a deposit bonus up to $100. And yeah, they've already got big ball tournaments for rookie sophomore, for Their big board draft, which is a big contest prior to the NFL draft, so a lot of fun going over there at Underdog Fantasy. Again, make sure you check that out and use promo code ETR. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit more macro and a bit more philosophical than it is going to be super specific, actionable advice. If you're looking for something a bit more actionable, make sure you check out the podcast that... I did a week or two ago with Anthony Amico, where we took a first look at ETR's top twelve ranked prospects for your upcoming SuperFlex Titan Premium or whatever format you play your rookie drafts for Dynasty. It's a really good podcast to. It's it's not it's not the end goal. Obviously, we have a lot more time. We don't have the draft capital on players yet. The combine hasn't happened yet. But it's a really good podcast to get you familiar with who the main players are at each position and kind of what the market is thinking about those players right now. But today, I want to kind of, again, do a more macro philosophical podcast talking about how to deal with all the information you're going to get bombarded with this offseason. It happens earlier and earlier sites like us that established to run and everybody else is doing content earlier and earlier as these basketball tournaments get really big and people are drafting basically now up until August. It's a long off season. There's going to be tons and tons of takes. People are trying to get ahead of the market and, and sound really sharp while doing so. So what's the best way to sort of digest that information and kind of want to go through, you know, a couple examples of, how I think you know some some analysis is overvalued or undervalued, and it's important to remember that our goal is to be right more than not, and be right in the ways that matter and impact your fantasy team. It's not to try to sound right, and sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle. And it might seem obvious, but it can be hard when you're doing content all off season to. Not focus on the players that have a little bit more buzz, that there's a little bit more of a of an easy logical case for you to make for that player or a sexy case for you to make for that player. And you tend to focus on those more often because that content, quite frankly, is more interesting, but it's not necessarily better in terms of how actionable it is. Sometimes, you know the answer is this player you add up all the information together i don't have a hot take or anything in here but they're worth it at their draft cost and it's boring and no one really wants to hear that it's it's the same thing in dfs sometimes where i'll have a player and it's like their projection is what it is the ownership is what it is and at that projection and that ownership i'm i'm gonna play the player i don't really have a strong take against it i know if you subscribe to our golf stuff this is kind of like how rufus uh, peabody who is behind our golf projection thinks to an extent you know, a lot of times people want this sexy narrative. They want to know about, you know, this golf on this course, the recent form. And sometimes it's like, listen, I've, I've aggregated all that information together in the best way I possibly can. And it says it's, it's a positive EV thing to do. So it's hard to keep that in mind though, when there are arguments that are a bit more vivid. There are arguments that are more clear cut and we tend to bias those arguments and think they're more likely to be right. And I'm just as guilty as anyone. I know a couple years ago, I was really into Antonio Gibson at the uh, 2-3 turn. His cost ended up getting all the way up to the 1-2 turn. And I'm pretty sure I was out when it got there, but that's sort of besides the point. The point is the reason why Antonio Gibson became such a huge stock riser and someone that kind of like, as a consensus in the community especially on the sharper side of things people felt like this a player really needed exposure to was because the case for him was so obvious you know it's second year player who showed that he could rush year one we know from college he can he has the receiving chops now year two you add the receiving chops to the rushing efficiency and the fact that he showed that he can carry the load and it's a huge ceiling it's lights out and that type of case for a player that's very athletic and is sexy in that regard to begin with really became almost overvalued by the end of the offseason because it was so clear cut. And sometimes it's the more complicated guys that end up being the best values because the market doesn't know what to do with that uncertainty. Um, and I think the best advice is people that are you know, able to aggregate everything. They're able to synthesize information as best they can and reduce it down to actionable advice and and sometimes like i said it, it's an unsexy pick where it's just it's just okay it can be conflicting information and we don't have to make bold claims we also don't have to follow one path and i think we get into a situation where people are trying to follow a lot of heuristics in terms of you know archetypes of players that they want to take and and certain things that they want to see or don't want to see in a player and then they go down that single path of like does this player have this or not have this and they make it a bit more binary than it needs to be i know one player that i jokingly got some flack on last year was josh jacobs and there was a ship chasing episode where we did a draft together and everyone was mad at me because i had to take josh jacobs in the eighth round and quite frankly i wasn't even in on that on josh jacobs that much to be clear but i thought the value was good at that point and eric Bymfour asked me very very genuinely asked me you know what's the upside here and my answer was probably pretty unconvincing, quite frankly. I think it was like, well, you know, at this point in the draft, we've got a former top pick. He has shown just last year some upside in pass catching that he hadn't previously shown. He is most likely to be the starting running back on this team in offense. That's probably going to be pretty good or at least decent. And I think that makes him worth selecting here. That was it. You know, no one's going to hear that and be running like, "Oh my goodness, we need to start start piling in Josh Jacobs' exposure." And and did I have any idea this season was in him? Absolutely not. But to an extent, that's the point. You know, the NFL is really unpredictable, and we're just doing our best to get our chips in good and let them fall where they may. Now, you know, there's arguments and back and forth in terms of if a player has the necessary upside, because we know in fantasy what wins is like the chaos of the NFL kind of creates situations where you don't want to overrate kind of projectable volume and you don't want to underrate talent. But these things are starting to become taken into account by the market more and more. And you know that that chaos in the NFL, yes, we're looking for upside in certain archetypes, but we have to acknowledge that our ability to project upside sometimes. Isn't isn't that good? You know, Justin Jefferson when he was coming out as a dynasty prospect was viewed as like a safe prospect, but not someone with huge upside. And sometimes we're just not good at knowing where the upside comes from. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to, sh- you know, shape our bets in a way that reflect those upside outcomes more. But we do have to have some humility in understanding it's not going to be a binary thing. This guy has upside. This guy doesn't. And again, to be clear. Like it's especially the case as the market gets sharper and starts to price in things that maybe previously weren't priced in. And there's an analyst out there that who I think does a tremendous job with this, and that's JJ Zachariasen of LateRound.com. And I wanted to point out one example from his dynasty prospect guide last year that I think really, you know, spelled out the type of analysis I'm talking about that can be very, very useful and actionable and it's strange that in a way you can be pretty contrarian relative to the market with what is ultimately a lukewarm take just because the market has gone so hot in one direction or the other and i think jj does some of the best prospect work in the game he has an objective back tested system it does his best to take into account all of the important variables and throw them together instead of just flag you know some people just flag a couple of variables and be like they'll see that variable and be like, no, we can't draft this guy. This guy's a bad pick because of this. JJ's putting that all together and that helps him answer the tough questions and figure out where a guy should be drafted even if there is conflicting information and you're not going to overvalue the importance of a red flag that you might do if you're thinking a little bit too heuristically. And the player that best exemplifies this last year in JJ's prospect guide to me is Chris Alave. And a lot of people... Uh, myself included, to an extent, overly docked Alave for being a four-year guy, and that's because we have this heuristic that you know three-year early declare players have a much much better hit rate than four-year players, and it's not like JJ is not aware of that. You know he knows that three-year guys are better bets in a vacuum than four-year guys, yet he had Alave as his second best prospect in his prospect score, and then when he kind of combines his own personal soft skills with that prospect score still had enough conviction to make Alave his wide receiver three in his second tier of, of rookies for in, incoming fantasy drafts for, for your dynasty rookie drafts. And that put him, again, third overall and in the same tier as Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, and uh, Jamison Williams. And this is what J.J. Rowe in his prospect guide. Alave did have a better breakout age than Wilson, and his best season production metrics were stronger too. That's why with almost identical draft capital, he looks slightly better, even without early declare status. And again, in his conclusion, JJ acknowledges the lack of early declare status. Reception Perception's Matt Harmon dubbed Alave the best route runner in this class. He's clearly a great prospect. There's no reason to be scared off of his lack of early declare status, especially considering none of his production from his senior Season is helping his Z prospect score. So, you know, personally, I was pretty lukewarm on Alave. And, um, but mo- most of the leagues that I was in, you know, took that early declare flag against him. And they didn't totally bury Alave, but he was not treated as in that second tier like JJ treated him. Personally, I took Jamison Williams over at him on a team in a longer rebuild. Certainly regretting that now. The rookie drafts I was in. He, Alave went 108, 107, 107, 106, 106, 106. These are leagues that I participated in that were, I would say, on the sharper side overall, and a ton of wide receivers were taken early. So overall, those you know, draft picks look good for Alave, but that was literally wide receiver five in all of them. Not a single draft was someone willing to take Alave in that second tier where JJ you know not only had him, but had him near the top. Now, I'm not sure exactly where Alave should have been. Gone, you know, we only see one set of results that obviously looks really good now. You know, you'd certainly have a lave in the conversation with Drake London Garrett Wilson as the best year two wide receiver and ahead of Traylon Burks, ahead of Jamison Williams. But, um, the point isn't to be too results oriented, the point though is a player, a case for a player can be unsexy, it can be complicated. Uh, there were other players that were big hits last year in redraft where this was the case. Um, you know, we were in on ET, at ETR, we were in on Miles Sanders, we were in on Tyler Lockett. Two years ago, one of the big ones was we were in on Debo Samuel at cost and out on Brandon Ayuk at cost. That was another complicated one where, again, people heuristically looked at Brandon Ayuk's profile and said, this is the breakout profile we want for a year two wide receiver. Let's draft him. And that was... Really sharp analysis in terms of identifying the breakout profile, but because people thought heuristically it got chased as his cost got higher and higher and at more and more of a premium, people didn't really adjust because again they weren't able to sort of quantify all the information together at hand. Instead, they were just looking at one thing that they thought was really important and trumped everything. Um so, again, yeah, these cases can be unsexy and complicated. And the case against Kyle Pitts this year was the same thing where people only looked at like tight end, the early league tight end, getting one of those is really important. Kyle Pitts is a unicorn, which he is, quite frankly. And then stopped there. None of it looked at like, well, his quarterback play and his coach are problems. And we could see really low pass volume. Now, what happened was certainly an outlier with Kyle Pitts. If Kyle Pitts had gone a round or two later, I would have had. All of the Kyle Pitts, and I would have looked like an idiot for drafting a ton of him. So there's definitely some luck here in terms of like only one season is going to play out, and only one ADP plays out. But you know there are reasons to be cautious, and you know I can be wrong when trying to synthesize this information together. I did it with Juju Smith-Schuster, where I was trying to you know put that information all in one bucket, where I'm taking well his his past couple of seasons have been quite atrocious, quite frankly. But am I ready to call him bad based on his, you know, first couple of seasons in the NFL? He's still at a pretty good age, and now he's going into the perfect setup offensively in terms of team that's going to throw a lot, doesn't have a ton of wide receiver competition, and it's Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball. And yeah, I ended up being wrong on Juju. I think that's, you know, was pretty clear the way that case played out. So. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you do have to be willing to try and put all that information together instead of just saying, oh, he's playing with Patrick Mahomes. He's going to be amazing. You also don't want to say, oh, Juju Smith-Schuster is complete dust. He sucked the last two years. It's not that simple. And, you know, we need to take advantage, of course, how to best play the game. We want to focus on upside, but we need to, again, acknowledge that upside itself can be tough to predict. And as costs change, in drafts, the of strategies, you know, both micro and macro change. So we want to do our best not to overstate the impact of any one thing. We want to take all that information at hand, make the best possible decision. And sometimes it's a tough decision that might look dumb in hindsight because it's a player that has one of those red flags who you're taking earlier than, um, you know, a lot of sharp people are suggesting, or it's a player who has a, a lot of green flags, but uh, you know, the cost just got too high and you don't have exposure to that player. And if that player goes off, you're going to feel, feel like an idiot. You have to be willing to have that sort of confidence and, you know, aggregate everything together. And I do think that it's becoming more and more challenging. There's stuff like, you know, rookie wide receivers are good bets. That is still the case. There's still a lot of upside. We saw Garrett Wilson hit in a nice way last year. But we do need to acknowledge when, you know, Skymore is going in the eighth round. Um, Traylon Burks going sixth seventh round Drake London fifth sixth round and I was in on all those guys quite frankly but the cost is different you know a few years ago we had T Higgins and Chase Claypool going and LaVisca Chenault who a lot of people liked was going extremely late in draft. I mean I hesitate to get this wrong but I think that Claypool Higgins were going near, you know 16th to 18th round in underdog best balls that year so The market has clearly changed and some of these edges that we have that were so obvious are becoming a bit more sophisticated. And you see this everywhere, not just in fantasy football, but in betting, gambling, you know, in in props for NFL, you used to just be able to take unders and you'd be successful. It was was quite frankly that simple and you could have that heuristic of, I'm only going to take good unders, Well, when the market adjusts, you need to be a bit more sophisticated than that. You can't just have one catch-all binary thing that's going to make you profitable. You used to be able to, but those edges that are that clear, they don't last that long. And then those edges start to become more complicated, starts to become more nuanced. So I think at ETR, we're doing our best to take all this into account. You know, when we're doing our season-long projections, we're pretty conservative in terms of not over-projecting, you know, day one volume guys we don't think have the talent we also bake in upside cases and downside cases for players that help us to get you know better sense but ultimately when you have a system like we have where we're doing that or you have a system like jj has where he's doing what he's doing with his dynasty prospects you're tethered to some sort of objective reality like you have an anchor point you can use your soft skills to move one direction or another off that anchor point but you get to a certain point where a player just becomes obviously a good or bad value based on objective reality and the aggregation of all this stuff. And that's why I think like modeling is really important and helpful because some people out there are just finding kind of correlations and then they overplay a single correlation when they're not putting all the pieces to the puzzle together. And well, that's basically what happened with Josh Jacobs last year. You asked our Slack last offseason if any of them wanted to draft Josh Jacobs Hundred percent knows across the board. I think somebody in our Slack said they would not draft Josh Jacobs under any circumstance. But again, we had you know kind of a conservative case for his base workload. We were very conservative on his upside case, and he still popped. You know, at a certain point, his cost got reduced so much. And you know, again, that that kind of is what it comes down to. Similar story for Tyler Lockett. So we will do our best to do that again this year. We're going to get some right. We're going to get some wrong, but hopefully we're more right than wrong, even if it happens in uh, an unsexy way. I hope, you know, me talking through this and rambling uh, about this helps you get yourself set up for taking in all the information you're going to take in, whether it's from established to Run on Twitter, other podcasts that you listen to, other, you know, subscription services you might listen to over the course of the season. It's going to be, a long off seasons can be fun and you know hopefully put ourselves in the, the position to make the best decisions as possible and and win some money playing fantasy whatever format that happens to be dynasty best ball redraft so thanks so much for tuning in I'll be back uh next week with probably a more actionable podcast Anthony Miko, who does our established run dynasty rankings as I noted we did a first look at some stuff but hoping to get him back on to take a deeper dive into some of these prospects i also do want to have jj zacharyson of late on to talk about his prospect stuff i hit on his rookie prospect stuff but he has some really interesting year two prospect stuff particularly for wide receivers so guys like chris Olave, garrett wilson again drake london you know what should we expect for those guys sky more do we expect a rebound going into year two so hoping to pick jj's brain on that over the next month or so thank you so much for listening please rate review us on itunes Uh, helps me continue this podcast for free thank you so much best of luck in all of your drafts this offseason